Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Wences Garcia, founder, head of culture, and GM at MarketGo. They develop do-it-yourself search engine optimization tools for small and medium-sized businesses, but he decided not to sell them directly, but mostly through partnerships with web hosting providers. In this episode, we talk about where the idea for MarketGo came from, how, as a bootstrap company, they faced VC-funded competitor, and their approach to consciously creating their company culture. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Vences, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to, to join this podcast. Uh, let's say your business is something that's not so usual, at least for me, let's say, because uh, you are focused on, a, let's say, a channel. At least at first you were, so selling through a channel. And this is something that mostly mature companies in my mind do, but you were doing it as a startup. So... How did it all start for you? How did you came up with this business idea that you do? Could you explain a little bit? Yes, of course. I think it comes to this uh, topic of connecting the dots. Actually, I started in the internet business uh, really early. And after some years, I joined a hosting company that you know well because you've been in, you're in this industry. I joined this uh, hosting company at the very beginning in Spain. And the company went uh, really successful. I still was having a great time at that time with the hosting in the hosting industry, but I felt myself with the entrepreneurial spirit. So after the company went uh, in a high growth, um, the company was sold. I did some cash out and I did start. That moment I started, I decided to start uh, another type of company, like moving into online marketing, like doing a little bit uh, the similar things like a hosting provider is doing for the hosting space, but in the marketing space. So I joined, I started a company. At that time, it was an agency, uh, online marketing agency for SMBs with a background of technical uh, automation uh, based on the experience of my my co-founder doing doing the same thing. And that company grew, but we soon realized that uh, services like managing lots of people and and doing services was not the kind of things that we, we wanted to do. We merged with another company for two years, trying to, to achieve a different scale. Again, that experience um, also taught us uh, lots of things about what we wanted to build and the type of company that we wanted to be at, the, at some point. And after some thinking uh, with my co-founder as well, at some point we saw there was an opportunity in the connecting the dots, like uh, understanding the, the ability that we, or the experience that we have in the hosting industry, which was growing, and also mixing this with automation and, and other marketing. And we felt that it was a missing service and a missing point in the industry, which was uh, providing SEO solutions to your SEO solutions. Like hosting companies, they provide hosting, domain, domain, and other services. And, and on top of that, at some point, you know that uh, value added services came into the play, like website building tools, e-commerce uh, sites. And so we saw that there was an, uh, an opportunity there to to provide a solution. And because we 
at that point, we were in a, in a special personal situation that we wanted to build something that we can control. We saw that creating a solution to be to get to the market, it will be very high, very difficult because getting to SMBs with the, with the type of approach that we have at that time, no, no external investment. We wanted to bootstrap the company. It was going to be hard. So we say, okay, we have uh, this ability. We understand the, the context uh, of the hosting partners. They, they need the services. The, the, the end users are asking for these services. So why don't we partner with these companies? We, they have the distribution channel. They have the customers. And we have the ability to understand what they may need in the integration, what they may need in order to provide these solutions to the, to the end users. So we started creating a, a solution for them. And I think that's that's pretty much the, the case. We It's interesting because at some point we were like looking into creating a product, but soon we realized that the product that we were creating was a solution, a distribution solution for, for this channel. Yeah. So what's interesting to me, let's say a couple of things that you mentioned, let's say. So first, you didn't like services. Uh, was this because you already experienced the, let's say, the benefits of subscriptions? Yeah, I think that when the beauty of the hosting companies at that time, and I'm talking about uh, year 2000, no, it was like the first early models of the subscription business, like uh, we understand now, it's a, it's a SaaS. At, at some point, you're providing a service, uh, users are paying you for the solution. So I was uh, witnessing that that model from the very beginning, being an executive at that company, and I saw that recurrent revenue, providing our services, subscription base, uh, high profits uh, or high profit margins was a thing that I wanted, uh, a model that I thought uh, it was a very interesting, profitable model. So um, when we started with the agencies, despite that we automate a lot of things like reporting, auditing, and some of the process that you may face when you are uh, providing a service, that was not enough. Uh, we were automating some part, but... Uh, most of the clients, they have a very different nature, different, different uh, needs, and, and you have to adapt and, and, and the learning. So we realized that to make a successful service company, you have to scale it up very, very high. And it was not, not even our idea. We were like more more into, okay, let's build a small team, very capable, lot, lots of leverage. Let's do uh, products that can scale. And, and as I said, I think it, it was about us and not managing lots of people, hiring, all of those processes were not what uh, my co-founder and me were looking into. Yeah, and I also mentioned, let's say, that you consciously started the company that you wanted to bootstrap uh, and so on. So why? Why was that? I'm, I have the, the privilege of, uh, as I said, living, living those early moments of internet and, and the hosting space and, and so on. And so I did well uh, in that company and the valuation was high. I, I made a, a, a nice cash out. And so I started uh, thinking, okay, I can I can start building the, the kind of company that I would like, no? We're having some investments, some financing, some contacts. So I would, again, starting a company with these connections and with some money to, to build on your own and with uh, a great co-founder and a, and a vision was, uh, was interesting. Also, I think that, there are different games. No, I, I leave this game. These companies were like private equity. They grew really fast. I, I played that game. Financial people came. We, we need to grow fast. We need to to enter these cycles of five years. So we sell the company again and we make some profit. And that was fine. But it was like the, the kind of culture, the kind of environment that it was good for me for some time. 
And we joined another company and we matched with this uh, services company, like uh, trying to, to build uh, like a service website designs, SEOs and things like that company. And and again, the, the kind of experience that we live there was not, uh, you know, it was everything was so fast growth. We were fighting and hiring people. And maybe my wake up moment was when at, at some point I was uh, one of the partners of the company and I, and I was getting into our office, uh, a huge office in Madrid. And I was in the elevator and I and I saw some some people that were working for me on, on for the company. And I saw the fear on, on them because we were like, as I said, fighting and hiding and, and it was like like a crazy environment. So when that stage of that phase ended up, uh, one of the things that I decided to do with again with my co-founder on a blank page is okay, what will be the ideal business? Now let's dream on the ideal business and, and we say we don't want an external pressure to grow, we want to grow the way we want. We want to have uh, people around that we will like, love to work with and under an environment of trust. We want to be the ones that uh, can shape this this future. We we don't see, we don't see, obviously we are ambitious and, and we want to end our money. That was one of the priorities, but we don't see that like a final goal. We prefer to think of long-term and, and we think also that creating companies that could be a vehicle for our lives was a interesting point and, and that was the, the really the very beginning of the um, the rest of the things that happened later no? with the culture of the company and, and the model and that's what we what we choose again we're very uh, privileged uh, situation having some funding to to take some time and to build things so you consciously crafted let's say the the vision of the company that uh, you would like to own and to work in, let's say. Yes, yes, yes. That was uh, kind of the. I mean, when you look back, it's easier, no? Because uh, you, yeah. you you start, done, you start looking it. at yeah, you've done it, and you start looking at those signals, and you say, oh, no, you we did that, we did that, you know. But uh, that's completely a bias. I think it was quite more easy at that time. I was like, okay, I told my 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 friend and co-founder Jose, what do we want to build? Okay, we want to make money. We want to have freedom we want to build things that we like we aspire to create uh, digital products uh, that uh, people could eventually buy all over the world it was like an aspira aspiration for us and then we want to be surrounded by by people that understand the same vision and and yeah let's let's start and and, and build it okay so let's say you started and let's say an early decision was let's say, not to sell directly to the end customer even though the product is for SMBs, but to sell through a hosting partners through the channel. How does this uh, impact, let's say, the growth and uh, let's say the internal structure of the company? Let's say, were you more connected to the market or less connected to the market? Let's say, was there any difficulties? Yes, it's a great question because, you know, when you start a company and most of the books, most of the things that you can read about companies is like, uh, I don't know, this... Uh, Style early MVPs, do it this kind of stuff. You have to sell direct. All of the library, all of the knowledge, or most of the knowledge that you have around there is based on selling direct to, to the consumer, building growth teams, starting testing, scaling, and stuff like that. Uh, the difference is when you work with a in a distribution model like the one that we built, uh, which at the end of the day is our, our brand and our product. Uh, our brand is not so important. Is that what we build that they can resell? you start realizing that instead of focusing on the value, well, not instead, 
at the same time that you focus on the value that you have to provide to the end user, you have to build a product that uh, serves the needs of these customers who are your distributors, your resellers. And that is a, that is a situation that really changes the, the field. The thing is, and you're right, building a distribution channel or building a partnership channel is really hard. And, and basically because it's a, it, it, it goes into long sales cycles. You have to get to these partners and you tell them that okay, we have this solution. I think it's, we think it's interesting for you to increase your your APS, your average revenue per, per user. And the users are asking you for this. But the integration is hard. The negotiation is hard. And then once that you find or sign a deal or an agreement, you have to work on, on optimizing that footprint of the solution with the, with the partner. So on one side, the benefits is that you can secure some kind of distribution through these partnerships and, and you go with them. That gives you some kind of predictability, not predictability, some kind of uh, stability once that you get some, some revenue rolling and uh, some new users getting into the flow. And it's actually um, barriers of, uh, of uh, it's a moat, you know, in the sense of that you don't have to compete against anybody that you, once that you, you, you sign an agreement over there. But on the other side, the challenge is that the growth is. Um, I remember. Uh, I remember watching a talk about the slow SaaS ramp of death. No, and that was what we're feeling. Oh, it's uh, okay. We sign a deal. We sign another deal. That this is fine. But the money was coming one year later of that, or two years later of of, of those agreements. So building that way also shaped the way that we were operating in the sense that we were more conscious about cash, more conscious about uh, building. Also, the good thing about uh, slow-moving, the part, the good thing, there are, there are bad things, but the good thing about uh, slow-moving organizations is that you have, they, they allow you to have time to to structure, to make the integrations, to, to grow the team and, and so on. But you are lacking, uh, when you, you operate on a distribution channel, you're lacking from this end, and user relationship and, and you're also lacking from this predictability that I was mentioned before, no? because it's very hard. You It's not like you invest something, imagine that you go direct and you invest a certain amount of money in advertising or in demand generation and you know how that is, the ROI of that is. But uh, in this case, it was way, way more harder. If I understand correctly, I said the problem with predictability is uh, because you can only probably count on some minimum coming from a channel that you, let's say, agree upon in advance. But if the partner will be successful in selling your solution, you don't have so much impact. Is this correct way of understanding? A good example is sometimes we sign deals with uh, companies that we saw they have a, a huge customer base. Yeah. But because there, the integration, there was some friction integration or maybe not a lot of resources to make the, the integration of our solutions uh, successful, those partnerships yield less opportunities, less business than maybe a smaller partners that were like like attaching or doing the things that we expected on, on the, the go-to-market strategies. So the predictability is more in the way that when you operate a company like any of these, you may look into the past and you may invest in the future and, and, and you can expect, okay, this year we're going to grow this much. And when you were operating this market, when most of the development of the growth depends on somebody else's uh, resources, integration, you know, agenda, priorities, 
you cannot tell the partner that okay, you should be releasing this the way that we want at this at this date and this is going to create this amount of opportunities like a little bit blind they start selling you don't know how much they sell you tell them how to optimize but as i said at some point the good part is that they sell and these are current revenue and they and they do it once that you, that you build it but you are a little bit blind because you don't know how much they are going to sell or how how, how much how this business is going. No? So I think that was one of the challenges in, in in making the forecasting of our company. Did you find any, let's say, levers that you can influence? Because let's say if you are selling direct, usually you're wanting some kind of predictable sales, uh, let's say, engine. And you know, if I put some, uh, so, let's say, that much more money in, uh, like, I don't know, Google Ads, that much more revenue will come in. Are there similar levers that you can influence as uh, when you are selling through distributors, through channel? No, actually not. Uh, the only way to, um, yeah, to operate um, or to influence uh, this kind of business is by by coming or by getting to the partners and and, and telling them, okay, we have sim- similar partners and we have had uh, these different experiences. So the best practices that we found that uh, they're working well are this and you are there is a gap between what you implemented and what c- can be done so like let's say for example one of the most successful strategies is to attach our solution when somebody is buying because the intention of buying at that time is is way higher than going after a customer that is already being serviced and and they may don't need or they may not uh, ready for the intention is as i said this is a little bit more tricky because investment, I mean, you can do investment in visiting partners and, and pushing and, and providing them with the solutions, different solutions. But it's a tricky. And also, because we operate globally and different territories, different pricing strategies, uh, different models, different, even different platforms from our partners you know, that allow us to do something else or not. To put you an example, we may eventually push our partners to provide our solution for free in the purchase flow, like a bundle or something like that. And some of them, they told us uh, we have limitations in our system to provide a solution that is zero, zero price, no? zero euros or zero dollars. And, and we cannot do that. So it was like, okay, when you when you going to be able to do this? I mean, we are going to update our platform in the next quarters, in the next year. So all of these uh, constraints were part of the challenges. Okay. And also probably, let's say you mentioned you're global. There's also decision of investment, let's say, in your product, or let's say, in your case, probably localization in different languages. How hard it is now? Because what do you take into account when deciding to, let's say, expand globally in different language? Do you take into account, let's say, strong partners, market size, let's say, of end customers? Let's say, these decisions are, in my mind, exponentially harder when you're dealing directly with uh, the customer. It's interesting because sometimes when I see other companies trying to enter this space or enter the distribution space or the partnership space, they, they have a focus on, on the product. No? They say, we have a great product and we're expecting these guys to, to, to provide, to sell, the, to, sell the, to sell the product the way that we want or to partner with them. So they, they make a sale and we get a sale on that. No? So, but I soon realized that uh, most of the conversations with this uh, in this channel were more like into the integration abilities, into what languages capabilities do you have? Uh, what is the branding ability? Can you train our support teams? What is the amount of support that we are going to to handle? How can we leverage sales? So, so the conversations were a little bit uh, different on that end of the on the distribution channel. So, in terms of localization. First of all, uh, our model is do-it-yourself. 
for those uh, who don't know, do it yourself versus do it for me. I mean, do it yourself SEO is or do yourself any kind of a solution is more challenging. So when we saw the mar- the territories in the market, we saw that there are some more mature markets like the Anglo markets, you no know, US, UK, North Europe were more into doing things on themselves on the solution. So we start, we say, okay, there is, there is a global market opportunity, but we should focus on, on this kind of territories first. So that was one of the decisions that we made to make the, the, the platform multilingual and mostly English. So there is cultural preference for either do it yourself or do it for me. Yeah. Interesting. I have another question, let's say, but let's say you are one of the, let's say, first movers in this kind of industry with this add-on product, but uh, let's say you then faced a VC-backed, let's say, competitor, and you were bootstrapping. So this is an interesting decision because a lot of time uh, when in an industry, let's say, one of the players gets VC-backing, then all the others scramble to get also VC-backing to have a like war chest. And now this is quite a few years and you are still bootstrapping. So how is it to compete against VC-funded player? And does it change anything? Yeah, I think that's an amazing question. That's an amazing question, Euros. Yeah, it's funny because in this case, it's like uh, the typical situation, the typical case when you can see like uh, if you have uh, chosen a different route, how it will be. So we have this competitor in the space who they were choosing the, the, the opposite uh, route, you know, like they were funded with an aim to grow and, and uh, with all of these things compared to, to what we are doing. So as, as, as time passed, uh, one of the things that we failed at the time is that we, we were not uh, able to invest so much in, a, in acquisition. We did it our way with partnerships. We tried to, to split some things. So at some situation, we saw that they were more capable of um, widening the offering and, and providing more solutions on top of the, on top of the USP. So we have to take a decision and we say we cannot compete against uh, all of that because we don't have the resources. So first of all, what we did is uh, play our game on, on that and the strategy and we focus on, on one only USP, which was SEO at that time. And by streaming the efforts in, in, in one thing, we were able to compete in, in, some, of the, in some of the placements. The other thing is that... Uh, this company in particular, they, they needed to go with the brand because that was allowing them to create more value on top of the brand. And so we were like white labeling. So that was another difference that we put on the table. Then we we were more like flexible into doing things that they were not allowed to because they needed to grow. If you, if you want to grow, you're not uh, supposed to do some more to customize uh, things. So that was also shaping our competitiveness uh, at some point. But soon, re- soon we realized that the difference is that in terms of also culture, and if you're in a busy back company, at some point you have to look into into your equity, into your cap table, and say, I mean, there are people here that I want to get a return and a high return. If I'm getting this amount of money, I should be getting this valuation. So that implies that the company should be focused on growth, focused on growth, focused on growth. And I think that if you put it that in perspective, what with what without we've done, we have more frustrations in the way that we were investing. But we were not having that amount of pressure for any external forces to grow. So that allowed us to create uh, maybe another another kind of culture company, which is really important for us. And also at some point for the owners, we were able to to start profiting early. And from that, uh, being a bootstrap company, you can you can start profiting if you if you make some some profits and dividends. And that was also an interesting point. 
I will say that it's not that one is better than the other. I think that in this case, being a niche and also being a slow-moving market, uh, the difference is no high. I understand that in other places where you've been a bootstrap company is like playing against Goliath and it will be very hard to have and feel this is the case in this space if you manage to, as I said, to focus on things that uh, differentiate you. But it's an interesting one. question. No close answer. Okay, so if I understand correctly, let's say being focused on partnerships and selling through partners actually helped you in a way because you still had uh, distinct advantages that you were able to use because you were bootstrapped. While if you were going directly for the end consumer, probably you will be uh, uh, outspent on the marketing part and uh, customer acquisition part. Yeah, that's part. And the, the, the conversation becomes uh, really complex, like selling through a distribution channel, Plus, at the same time, selling through direct or agencies is like uh, creating two, three different companies within the, the same company. You can you take advantage of the platforms and technology, but it's harder. On the other, on the other side, uh, if you need to grow, at some point, you have to start expanding on the solutions and the offering that you have, not only on the channels. So what we did was, let's focus on one channel, let's focus on one so one kind of solution, let's be great at that and, and keep focusing on, on growing growing that space. Uh-huh. So you, let's say, double down on the hosting partners, didn't, uh, uh, let's say, expand into web agencies or something like that? Uh, yes, I think that that was also a time in our, in our, uh, in our company that we, we faced a lot of frustration because we were like, uh, you know, all over the place. No? Like we were seeing opportunities, we were trying everything, let's, let's do this, let's do that, let's integrate with this website building tool, let's, let's do this other thing. And it was an interesting moment where I, where I was exposed to, um, to uh, the EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, like a methodology from some fellow entrepreneurs that they told me, I was telling them, I'm frustrated, we're trying to do a lot of things, still the company is small, uh, we don't get to uh, have so much drive in the different things that we try. So they, my friends, they suggested me to follow this entrepreneurial system. And following the, the system, um, one of the things that you have to do is to define your core focus. You have to look into what you are, you have to find what are the strengths and, and all of that stuff. And, and after some, some discussions and some sessions, we were looking into what we, and we say, I mean, 95% of our business is coming from here. We still think there is a room for to improvement if we focus only on, on this and we keep the company completely focused on, on developing value on this. I think we can edit, you know, it's, it's always the same, no? Like focus is, is great. So I think that was one of the things that at that moment allowed us to be more competitive too. Double down on the market, double down on the focus of the solution, just one solution, be great at that. Be ready with partners, extract and, and get, in, get into the market while our competitors were more like forced into expanding different channels, different solutions, different brands, and so on. What's interesting to me, let's say that's also following you, because we met quite a few years ago at one of these uh, events, let's say, in our industry, uh, that you changed the company, let's say, in a way. Uh, I remember, your, let's say, your post that you are closing down the offices, let's say. It, by the way, great uh, clickbait title. Uh, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's say you are investing a lot in a culture, let's say. So you're now remote first and so on. So you didn't just, let's say, decide, okay, I would like to have a bootstrap company, but you are continuously rethinking your company, let's say. So how so? Why? 
Yes, we've been talking a lot about distribution and, and models and products, but I think that for me and for us, the, the most important thing is is not what we do, which is basically what we do now is uh, this reselling SEO solution for, for hosting, hosting partners in this niche. It's pretty much what uh, the why, you know, and in, if you follow the EOS at some point, you, you will be facing like uh, you have to make this question, you know, what, what is our mission, what is our vision? So after years, some, some years passed, uh, we realized that we were a, a group of people really um, with a great vision. And we uh, started doing like this kind of, you know, conversations internally, dreams of, okay, what do you want? How do you see yourself in the future? And what do you want to build? And, and with all of that, we realized that the, the what, what it was moving for the group that we were at that time, it was like, okay, again, we buy your, your idea of uh, building a great culture, like living in the, or working in a place that you like to work, you love to work every day, and, and you start working there with people that you love to work with. In what context? In the context of building digital products, Everybody wanted to make digital products at that time. And I mean, there was a, obviously what we aim for, and obviously, obviously because a lot of things, no internet and a lot of things that allow you. And at the same time, making some impact, no? like we wanted to, we don't want it to be like a, like a small operator. We want to have some impact in, in the world. So that is a wow, our why. And our why is still there. I mean, the why is to build a company with a unique culture that creates impactful, impactful digital products. And the what is what we do now. So that is that is telling our organization that at some point what we aim is to to build these products and but we while we keep uh, the culture so the culture is so is so important obviously the clickbait we are marketing people <laughs> the clickbait yeah. was over there but but you know in some kind I mean, today is a commodity you know like remote distribution and all of that is is a commodity but when we started like maybe five years ago we, we have the, the ability to tell people you can work from everywhere we don't care you, you can work at the times that you want we're not going to to chase the, the, the amount of work that you do. These are the priorities that we have. We were over communicating all over the place. And because of that, and because some of the people that we hired were, were like not coming to the office. And so it was like a very, very easy decision to make. What, what are we doing? Like having a small office in Madrid, but where people is is, is all over the place. And, and we started making these decisions on around the, the model. But not only in the model. I mean, we started making decisions in, in so many different layers of the culture. And if you don't stop me, I'm going to be speaking about this. No, no, please. Hours, no, no. Uh, let's say what I heard is, let's say, culture over product right now. And let's say that you made a lot of decision regarding culture. Can you share some? Yeah, I think that, uh, again, uh, I, I didn't want to be... Um, I, I like business and I want to make money and, I, and I'm... I'm in the main shareholder and take risk. I, I put a lot of money. I was living on my on my wife's wage for long years while I will be able to, to earn a high paid salary in, in my past life. But I decided to do this on, on my own. Obviously that's that's over there. I wanted to make business. But at the same time I, I, I wanted to do this with people around me. So I was reading this this book uh, called Maverick from Ricardo Sembler about Selma, yeah. different, the different kind of organizations. Already mentioned on this podcast several times. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. That is that you're inviting these <laughs> uh, minded people. Uh, I love it. I have it over there. I, I've been, uh, it's been a great inspiration. So one of the things in the book is they say, uh, if you're able to align the people that is working with your interest, their, their interest with your corporate goals, 
you know, the, the sky is the limit, no? So we're like, okay, yeah. this company has, has some needs, but why don't we look forward to to align interest, no? And, and that was a great um, aha moment. Like we want people to come here with the interest to make things that align with our corporate goals. And so we started like having more conversations. And, and at some point I, I said, why don't we share in a thing that we're looking into people with with their ideas and entrepreneurial mindset, no, not having to be entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurial mindset that they understand the challenges of the company, how we're doing, how are the, the numbers. So things that we don't, for example, is we become a open book management company. We share everything. We share all the data, all the financial data with the with the team, so they know where we are. They know what the, what is working, what is not working, and that uh, gives them a, a lot of um, give us all us uh, a lot of purpose sense uh, what we were building how was how things were going and and so on did you find out that you have to invest in uh, let's say educating people then how to uh, understand finances and so on yes 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 absolutely we have to to spend some time on telling them and explaining explaining pnls and explaining predictions and explaining different economic figures but also we were over communicating around strategy or or business perspective everybody in the team got to know this on a quarterly basis at least but they have opened the, the open the open information of the the financials over there for their convenience and i will say that that was maybe one one of parts of the beginning the culture starts shaping in that sense being more open then at some point i said to myself i mean if we're making profit and or if this make of this company i'm talking about this is a 10 year story no like like maybe in the year seven or year six people was uh, really involved spending time and and we say Okay, the company is growing, and now we're profiting. We're profiting well from the business that we built together. Actually, some of the people that joined the company was uh, underpaid, and and because they they like the culture, so we were like, we designed at that time like five stages of the company, five ideal or five like like the stages of the company. And stage one and stage two was uh, bootstrap. Uh, we are losing money, not getting to the break even. We have to keep short this thing, but. If we get into the stage three, stage four and stage five, things are going to change. And we tell them if we get into the stage three, salaries are going to be market revision. We're going to start uh, doing profit setting with this amount of money. Actually, uh, we are setting 15% of the of the profits of the company. At that time, we're going to spend more in training. We, you're going to have more freedom to do things. We're going to do this and that. And stage four and stage five going into a different direction. And those all of those instruments that we were like creating at that time uh, attracted people that uh, they were interested in this. It's, it's a little bit shocking, no? Because it's a this kind of culture are not common, no? And and, and one of the funny things is that sometimes when we, we were like in in the interviewing process, we tell people all of this, and they were like kind of reaction. Right? This seems like a cult. Why is this? What I'm getting into this in this company? And the other reaction was like a little bit uncertainty until they joined the company and they saw that we were doing these things. Okay, these five stages, let's say, that you mentioned. So this is something that you developed on your own or is uh, some model that you can... Let's say, can you share a little bit? Uh, because it sounds really interesting. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think I, I have some inspiration at the time. Uh, Peldi from Balsamic uh, was one one of the inspirations. I was looking into companies that have more soul in the way that they were, they were operating towards the, the team and, 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 and the feeling and the culture. In particular, this five stage models was one thing that I created on my own. It was like one day, like trying to build the forecast of the business plan. And, and I said, okay, the business plan is okay, but why don't why don't I try to to forecast the kind of culture that we want to have? And, and because in this, this slow moving organization, we we were like in, in looking into ways to to tell our team where we were heading. So it was like, what is our purpose? How how are we, how are we going? Uh, how we are going to get there? So um, these stages were like a very clear way to tell people, okay, we're in stage three guys, or we're stage two guys. We cannot pay as much. This is the kind of company where we're looking into this thing. Like for example, we're now in uh, between stage three and stage four. Stage four means that uh, besides this solution, we have another solution in the market and that we have another solution that is growing in the market and a stage and that we have some experience going into this market and creating another digital product from just not only one single product. Stage five will, uh, an overlook of the stage five will be like, okay, at this stage, we are like a portfolio company and and, and, and people, team members are working in the portfolio company. We have different companies that are operating like pro digital products. And we have these people is more participating in the equity or creating other, other solutions. Okay, I see. So you, let's say, simplified your vision, divided your stages, and also told your team that co-creates this, let's say, company and vision. Let's say what they can expect from the company in each of these stages. So let's say, so that they know where they are it simplifies the discussion. Uh, let's say also remove some things off the table because they are clearly defined for the next stage and so on. Yes, I think one of the most powerful tools that you can have is uh, making questions. So um, some questions that we make uh, in ourselves every time that we make a decision, obviously, uh, when is this, what could go wrong? No? Like a way of understanding what are the risks. Uh, others is, why are we doing this? We Sometimes we make this question lots, lots of times because you can... You can fall in love in, with some project, but uh, you have to make that question. But one of the one of the connecting questions that we have with the team, and we try to make ourselves every time that we make a decision, is what's in here for me, or what's in here for them, no? what's in here for every member that uh, that's in the company. So it's uh, if uh, if our vision is to create an environment where people can grow and and, and, and be doing these things, is this aligned with that vision? So what what's in here for me? And obviously, payment, uh, compensation stages of the company another thing that uh, that is aligned with this that we did and it was like an experiment is that at some point we were like looking into compensation like a hard thing to decide no it was like a, this involves always a lot of uh, different different perspectives so um, also coming from maverick i i was inspired to create like a self-proposed salary model where where we were giving people different tools to let's say make an initial assessment of the situation and the context how much they're paying the value the impact in the company the financial situation of the company the prospect the responsibilities the growth the training and so on so they will be able to to present a self-proposed salary that uh, will be approved on uh, by their team leader or the, or the company it was like a another different approach uh, like making this question why are we always uh, have to be the one in the power to to say this is the, the amount of money that you should be earning? No? If your maybe your personal situations are changing, 
did you manage to achieve that, uh, let's say, self-proposed salaries? Did we manage to, to create it? Do you mean to, yeah. to implement it? Yeah. Yes, 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 we implement, implement it. Okay, nice. Because, let's say, I dabbled in, uh, let's say, the lessons of Maverick, and I felt miserably when I, I was running our agency. Uh, let's say, looking back, I didn't invest enough in educating people about everything, let's say. So it was a great idea, but, uh, let's say, poor execution. So you actually have a self-proposed salary system. Yeah, we have, we have it now. We have it now, and 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 it's challenging. I have to say, it's, I, I I still consider this an experiment. So far, I think that we received like seven different self-proposed events from team members. Lots of work and and lots of reflection on the situations. I think it's a it's an open way to it's a learning source with the trust you know if you if you are in an environment of trust and, and you face and you go to the, your boss and to your leader and and if you if you don't have the trust you, you will maybe looking for another job uh, somewhere else because they are paying you more or you're not feeling comfortable or whatever with this thing we were trying to to lower that and and, and also i mean never never wanted to, it was like a Sometimes it's a hard, a hard situation that you are going to negotiate uh, against somebody. No, I want this money and I want that money. And if you put it on a paper and I say, this is my personal situation, this is what I'm expecting for, this is the value, I think it's a easier conversation. Yeah. How difficult is it, let's say, to onboard somebody in this unique culture? You mentioned that some, some of them, they're saying they don't want to join the cult, but the ones that are interested, let's say, how difficult is it to, let's say, get them through uh unlearning process of how the things are done another amazing question it's very very hard i think that um, it's uh, none of the onboarding i will say that the, the hiring or the or the selection is hard because we are like a little bit uh, now that, for example at this stage we are hiring somebody and i was like uh, looking uh, helping be helping by a headhunting company we're looking into a senior account executive to join the company and when i talk to the headhunters and okay this is the profile technical profile of the of the position but when we were into the attitude aptitude culture kind of guy kind of person that we wanted to join the company they were like what <laughs> how, how, am I, how am i supposed to how am i supposed to find somebody that is in that is into i mean the the culture what we learn in the what we learn uh, through the times and EOS is also helpful for this is to, to create a clear clear values and guiding principles model. And one of the things that we do within this selection process is that we pass this. There is a culture interview, specific interviews process that leadership teams and members of the company join that conversation to get into the things. It's hard. Some of the things that we do is we look for, as I said, this entrepreneurial kind of um, attitude. Because if you have been working in an enterprise company and you you know what you have to do every day on the company, that is fine. But if you face start working with us and, and at some point you know what the priorities is, but what you have to do, you have to decide on your own and you have to work, be working on your own. That is a that is an interesting point. The other one is that uh, we don't want people to be a slave on a company. But when we look into our future, we say long term long-term vision we want we expect you to be here and you are happy with us for for a long long time at least you should commit for two a, a couple of years to to make the impact and to join the company and more and more more and more other questions i will say that is the culture is 
in the, in the past it was it was uh, an amazing way to attract uh, these people and to retain and the rotation was okay as, as soon as we were like growing and and we were growing with more 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 team members also the culture has been uh, something where some people were not feeling comfortable with this uh, kind of um, model and, and and they left the company and i think that's a healthy thing because the ones that we are in the company we share this this common this common vision yeah uh Okay, so you mentioned TOS and we discussed it a little bit, let's say. So did you implement it on your own or did you hire some external consultant? Let's say, do you have any recommendations for somebody who heard you, heard how great it is and wants to implement it in their own company, how to approach it? I think that bootstrap companies can do some things. And, and I think that, uh, as I said, for, for a bootstrap company, you have to choose... I think you have to choose wisely your your battles, the kind of battles that you do in the market, maybe in these, in these situations and, and stuff like that. But one of the other things that you have to make sure is that you have the highest leverage. And what I mean by highest leverage is that everybody in the team is has a high-performing ability. And in order to do that, one of the tools that you can use is systemized systems. I've been always a proponent of having systems or so making clear. Also, because our company works on a synchronous mode, we are not all, always over communicating. We over communicate our priorities, we over communicate our rocks, our projects for the for the month. We follow them. We have all these meetings and a scorecard and so on. But what, what the US is is allowing uh, companies of, of of every site is to to organize and to and to make all of these these implementations and, and make you more powerful, as I said, more leverage, uh, uh, behaving like a like a like a big company in terms of systems, but being so flexible enough to to make uh, whatever adjustments you you want. We implemented on our own, and it was based on the experience of some some other entrepreneurs worldwide that uh, I was having exposure to. Uh, we implemented on our own. Um, I would say that the. You know, for for some of the listeners that are entrepreneurs, one of one of the also the, the waking up moments is when you when you see in the system that to make an, a, a company like this successful, you need like uh, it's usually hard to have like two different roles. You no, know? like uh, somebody that is more visionary, looking into the culture, relationship, deals, that kind of stuff. And but sometimes you you think that you have to do everything, no? You, you are doing those things, but at the same time you are managing the company, uh, being on the on the business. So this book, this methodology tells you to to separate uh, like what, what is an integrator, like it's an operations manager from or operations director from from the visionary. For me, that was eye opening because I was trying to do achieve everything. The, at the moment that I that I, that I recruit an integrator to join the company, the company started growing and blossoming because I was doing more value stuff and and things that were really well done and, and the focus was uh, was way higher. I'm not sure if I replied to your question, but I will say that the US is definitely a, a thing to look into. Yeah. Maybe one last question. It's a two-parter. So now you're leaving, let's say, the motto or the principle of uh, culture over product. So based on your experience, let's say, what's the hardest thing about this and what's the best thing that, that comes out of it? Sometimes when we look into the bootstrap companies, we think there are like some part of the market things there is like lifestyle business. I think that the a bootstrap company can still be a, an ambitious company, can have some, some success. There are some different stories. Even founders can make more money, even going this route than, than the other side. But I think that we should look in, more into the into the human side and into the experience side of uh, running a business. And 
I mean, man, you, we spend a lot of time. We like to do business, but we spend a lot of time on, on the business. So it, also for me, it was like, uh, I don't want to, I'm not saying I'm workaholic, but I like to work a lot of hours. You know? And I was like, this would be a nice experience for me. This it would be a nice experience for everybody involved in the in the company. And I think when you're a bootstrap company and you focus on the culture, the process is also nice. It's not like you are going to achieve this amount and you're going to sell the company and then after that you're going to be rich and you're going to do this and that. No, like it's, it's you, you, you enjoy the process. You are more open to experiment. And you're more open to, to have these things. And I would say that for me, the most exciting thing of uh, running a company that is culture-driven is seeing members in our company growing, not only professionally, but personally, changing their lives. I, I will be able to mention different cases of these people that they achieve great things personally, growing internally, having this confidence to develop themselves, develop their their, their strengths and and also making them more wealthy. I think that's a, that's an amazing thing when you are close to a company that is uh, culture-driven, having you know this trust and and they, they and they feeling they feel well. So I think that's that's a great part of uh, having this culture-minded uh, company. I think that the the challenges is that the environment is full of uh, other models, no? And, and you can you mentioned before you can feel uh, you can face busy companies that come so hard, and we are all facing now challenges to keep our our team members or IT members because of the the pouring of money nonsense, like double salaries and, and stuff like that all over the place in the market. So sometimes a culture-driven bootstrap company. Is maybe not able to accommodate all of the 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 personal interest of the or the or the career interest for for some of the team members, and that will be jeopardize the the future. And also, culture driven. Sometimes you focus a lot on the people, you focus a lot on, on that, and and sometimes it's is is uh, harder to compete, as I said, with with other investment kind of companies. And it's also very, very hard to to hire people uh, in the company be, because of the particularities of these specific things. And also because most of the companies so far have not been so culture-driven. I think that the remote, uh, remote world is also opening this more and more. But the experience when you work in, in, in when, you, when you attract people from more traditional sectors is that they come with all these biases and all these my boss is asking me, my boss, you know, in, in, in this unhealthy relationship. So, yeah, it's a right. I mean, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a right. Francis, uh, thank you for sharing, let's say, the right so far with us and our listeners. I hope that listen to us till the end because there was a lot of knowledge and experience that you shared with us. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you very much. If um, I'm, one of the things that we decided to do is to help other companies like wanted to live in, in this or move into this model, including the EOS or the, the system that we have. So in our website, maybe, maybe you, you, should, you should reference this later, in our website, marketgoo.com slash culture, we have our, we share our uh, company handbook, we share our model, we talk about our operating system and the way that we operate. And we also provide a model a model, a template for other companies to, to use some of the tools that we have. So hopefully this, this model and, and the conversation and the experience that we share had been helpful for everybody. And yeah, it's been a very nice conversation so far. Thank you very much for inviting me.
you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And do not forget to tell your friends about it. I'd really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available on www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week 